Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds. I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of both our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Thriving and reversing diabetes. Booyah! <laughs> and hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? That would be no. <laughs> We've done some <laughs> research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we share studies that we found in the show notes. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to mm -hmm. eat. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot, will not, shall not be ignored. <laughs> we do. So, <laughs> let's start podcast number 120, Dr. Troy Stapleton on adult onset type 1 diabetes. Heard you say you do for a little... So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, last week's show was Nina Teichel talking about the dietary guidelines, and she is a subject matter expert. I don't think she made any mistakes at all. Yeah, she was great. Mm. <laughs> that was a great show. So, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. Sure. A ketogenic diet is one where you don't eat sugar or starch. Uh, you get all of your energy from fat. That's either fat on your plate or fat on your body that you stored from, say, a Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. And <laughs> we eat uh, enough protein to be able to maintain our lean tissue, uh, but we don't use protein for energy. We don't use carbohydrates for energy. We have trace carbohydrates, which, you know, you find in leafy greens. Yeah, you might have a, there's a few carbohydrates in eggs. Eggs are yeah. Very healthy food. So, but other than that, we we eat less than twenty grams a day, and if we do that, uh, we remain in a state of ketosis where uh, we uh, run our brains on mostly ketones, which is a yep. very healthy way to run our brains. So, certainly is. Yeah. So, Richard, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. I just finished my last formal exam. I have one more to do, uh, but I've got to go to the Food for Thought conference in Zurich uh, first for a week. Uh, and then mm -hmm. when I come back, this extra exam is like it's an optional exam that I can do for chemistry honors pathway, uh, which is just like, you know, it's a, a higher level of uh, of uh, the chemistry subject, but I did my last chemistry exam today, and you know sometimes you you, you do you, you do it go into an exam and you you you're well studied, and you know fifty percent of all the questions you can answer and you pretty much got them, and the other fifty percent you make mm. educated guesses on, and you know you hope you're going to get seventy five percent total for the exam. You may end up getting fifty percent, or you may get a hundred percent. Who knows? Well, right. those kinds of questions, those ones where you make an educated guess. I think I only did that on two questions out of like forty. So uh, all yeah, of the rest, cool. all of the rest, I was really comfortable on you. So yeah, no, I had a really good uh, chemistry exam, uh, and I've pretty much finished my formal. Uh, 
subjects now for first semester of uh, university at ANU. So, uh, so that was a good week. Um, uh, I also um, I'm getting ready, obviously, to go to Zurich for the uh, Food for Thought conference. This is being run by Swiss Re and the British Medical Journal, and it's got um, yeah. people such as Sarah Hulberg will be speaking there, Nina Teicholz, Gary Taubes, right. Walter Willett uh, from Harvard uh, University. He's uh, probably the world's mm. most uh, well-known nutritionist. Uh, uh, Professor Roy yeah. Taylor from the from Newcastle University in in England, the, one of the first guys to ever do a paper on how to reverse diabetes, uh, type two diabetes. Wow. That is, um, and uh, there's also Jenny Brand Miller. There's a lot of really famous people in the nutrition space, and this I think is going to be an interesting room to be in. Uh, probably one of the most interesting uh, rooms to be in this year for uh, determining uh, how we navigate our way out of this uh, nutritional hole that we're in. So uh, so that's going to yeah. be interesting. Um, and the other thing that happened this week, uh, a good friend of ours, Kim Houghton, did a Facebook Live event, and she um, – she was just talking about uh, about her week and answering questions, and people could ask questions about keto, and she would she would help them out. And she was doing this for free, and uh, she was going along quite well until somebody posted on the Facebook Live, um, "You're fat," um, and uh, it triggered her, and uh, yeah. she broke down into tears. And she was very eloquent. She really um, she explained to this person who was observing that she was fat and how could she be an authority on diet and nutrition. She right. was trying to explain to this person that her criteria is for, for success is being able to bend over and see her toes and to tie her own shoelaces and that she was extremely sick before this, this whole thing happened and she was out of control, unable to prevent yeah. um, putting on weight. Uh, she uh, was unable to control her eating and unable to understand why even when she didn't eat anything, she still put on weight. Um, right. And, you know, this this um, this probably br- this brings me to uh, a question about good actors and bad actors in the ketogenic community. Uh, right. And there are some bad actors in the ketogenic community who, um, uh, who have the opinion that if you haven't uh, got an ideal – uh, body, then you don't have uh, uh, standing in order to right. Uh, to you don't explain. have the authority to tell people right. anything. Right. Well, when mm. you look at it, I mean, you look at us. We've we've lost uh, between us 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, we have still a lot left to lose, both of us. Yep. And yet, our biomarkers of health are all excellent. I mean, my HbA1c went from 11.2 percent to 5.2 percent. Mm. Yep. You know, and yours went from 7.5% to, to where are you now? About 5.7%? 7.4 to 5.3, I think, right. is where I am now. Right. So, you know, th- this is – we've gone from extremely deranged uh, glycostasis to extremely controlled glycostasis. For mm. us, we are not going to have to worry about the diabetic complications like losing toes, losing eyesight, cardiovascular disease. We're still big. Um, and right. that has an impact for injury, but it doesn't have an impact for disease. Once you've disassociated uh, the diseases that, that go with obesity, like heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, once those right. are no longer an issue, um, uh, obesity is just a cosmetic issue. You know, and so yeah. this is this is something that uh, I think a lot of people don't really quite understand that uh, for somebody who is. 
uh, insulin resistant and has been for 20, 30 years and has been diabetic for 10, 15 years, is losing sensation in their feet, unable to read a computer monitor, um, mm. and uh, losing sensation in their, in their fingers and their kidney results, uh, kidney diagnostics are starting to show that they're doing serious long-term damage to their kidneys. Um, mm. And they're following all of the all of the advice of their doctors and nutritionists. For somebody like that who then finds a ketogenic diet and works out and learns that this can totally reverse all of those uh, impacts, yeah. to say to that person, yeah, but you're still fat, uh, is kind of offensive. And I think that- It's really offensive. Yeah. And I think that- um, I think the person who who posted that on Kim's Facebook Live should have a good look at themselves in a mirror and think about how good they are at being a human being. And uh, I'm just thinking another good example was when we did, remember when we did Keto Fest last year. There was a, a yep. known troll called Carbsane who her her she basically signed up to join Keto Fest because she heard Jimmy Moore was going to be there and she wanted to be there and heckle him. And she wanted right. a license to do that by buying a ticket to Keto Fest. And as soon as he pulled out of Keto Fest, she then immediately demanded a refund of a ticket. But she'd still turned up mm -hmm. and she was tweeting the whole time, how dare all these people in New London, I'm here at Keto Fest and they're all fat and they're all walking around enjoying themselves when they should be at a gym hating their lives. And they're all eating pork mm. and, and stuffing their faces. How dare they? You know, mm. um, it just uh, it just uh, makes me think that you know uh, our goal with Keto Fest was to make sure that everybody had a good time, and I think even she had a good time. So I'm I'm rating that as a hundred percent success. <laughs> There's an ironic story to that. Um, mm. Kim Howerton, who we were just talking about, noticed that uh, after feasting at Keto Fest for the entire weekend, mm. she lost a couple of pounds. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show you what your body uh, determines it's going to store or not store is totally out of your control. So that's how my week was. How was your week, Carl? Well, some good news and some bad news. The good news is uh, I want to announce a new local keto meetup, which is going to be at my house on Saturday, June 23rd. Cool. I might have talked about this last week, mm. but the whole idea is that um, RD86, where I've been doing the keto mini fests mm. through the local meetup group in New London, the keto meetup group that I started. They're getting so busy that they can't afford to alienate their customers by giving me like the whole thing on a Saturday right. night, right? Yeah. So they're going to be open 24-7 as a restaurant. And mm -hmm. um, Chef Robert was talking to me about how he was concerned because he wanted everybody to have a good experience and not just, you know, have a private function, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it that's a great problem to have. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. So mm -hmm. I'm going to start doing these things at my house. I'm going to do the Carl's Keto Kitchen from my house, and that'll resume in a couple of weeks. I'm going to do the Keto Mini Fests at my house. This would be the last one before Keto Fest. Mm. So this is Saturday, June 23rd. Mm-hmm. But go ahead, ask me what the theme of yeah. this so what is keto the mini thing? fest is. <laughs> <laughs> it's ketoki fried chicken. Yeah, like Kentucky fried chicken, but keto fried. Well, yeah. See, the thing is, we can't say Kentucky fried chicken. No, uh, yeah, so, that's a, uh, because that would it's a brand, a lawsuit, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would invite a lawsuit. So it's not Kentucky fried chicken, okay? No. <laughs> it's ketoki okay. fried chicken. Okay, but. <laughs> 
But what I'm going to do is I'm going to recreate the the dinner experience of KFC, Kitoki mm-hmm. Fried Chicken, yeah. which is fried chicken. And I'm going to use the pork rinds to um, batter that. But I'm going to experiment this week with herbs and spices to mm-hmm. I mean, there's some there's a whole bunch of things out on the internet about that yeah. so i'm going to experiment with that to try to get that you know that kfc flavor you realize that two of the 11 secret herbs and spices of the kernel were flour and sugar right yeah of course <laughs> yeah, of yeah. course <laughs> uh, so i'm also going to do a collie mash mm-hmm. with a thick peppery gravy you know how the the gravy there it's really crappy but it does have that pepper flavor to it right right so i'm going to try to i'm going to try to recreate that mm-hmm. also the coleslaw mm-hmm. a biscuit i'm going to start with brenda's cheddar biscuits yeah you know those are those are great mm-hmm. and a chocolate parfait mm-hmm. i've done chocolate mousse i know how to make whipped cream and the crumble is going to be a nut crumble mm-hmm. you know either pecans or almonds or both mm-hmm. got to experiment with that and you know how at Keto Mini Fest we have a, a guest speaker, a remote Q&A person, and that went really well the last couple of times. Mm-hmm. Well, Amber O'Hearn is going to be our guest speaker Oh, this wow. Time. Excellent. So you're going to have some meat. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk carnivore. Nice. So if you want to learn more about this, and uh, or if you even if you can't attend, if you want to mm-hmm. figure out what to do at your own Keto Mini Fest, which mm-hmm. you need to contact us about, yeah. go to kfc.2keto.com. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so now the not-so-good news. Mm-hmm. I actually had a bona fide lapse last week. Oh, no. Yeah, this was my first multi-day lapse since I started. I've had, you know, problems with a particular meal or whatever, mm. but uh, this one lasted for three days during a mini vacation with my wife. Ugh. Now, the interesting thing is I didn't go hog wild. Like, I didn't have sugar. I didn't, I didn't I, it wasn't one of those things, well, okay, I've had a cracker, now let's have an ice cream sundae. Didn't mm. do any of that, right? It was subtle. It started with too much alcohol at night. And then some breaded fried food, and I thought I could just handle that, and I didn't feel any real cravings, but I just found myself looking for more carby things. Yeah, it was really subtle. It was it was almost like um, almost like it was just happening in slow motion, right? Mm. But you know, I, I got to take responsibility for it. I screwed the pooch, and I didn't cut it off at the right time, and it took me out for a few days. Now, the interesting thing is, after being back on the horse for two days. I feel completely in control again, but I did not like that feeling of being out of control. And I think that's the difference where you know you're 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 doing it right or you know you're not doing it right is if you feel like, wow, how did that just pop into my mouth? You know? Mm, yeah. Then you just have these things that it, it's not necessarily a craving at this point, mm. but it's just like, hmm. I'm on tracks and those tracks led me to some bad decisions. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that's right. And the bad decisions compound. And before you know it, now you've got real cravings and you're over the hump and it's going to take um, a serious intervention in order for you to get back on it. So, like I said, I've been back on the horse for two days, feeling in control again. Everything's all good. But uh, that was that was pretty scary. Yeah. So, the only penance I can suggest for you is to say 10 Hail Marys and gargle some holy water. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm going to uh, say 10 past the butters and gargle some olive oil. That's what I'll do. But, you know, here's the thing. I'm home mm. now and being able to cook for myself makes yeah. all the difference in the world. Yeah, cooking is really the secret weapon for, for two keto It dudes. so is. Mm. Uh, you know, when you're out and you're somewhere where you don't have control over 
what goes in your mouth, you know, what goes in your body rather. You you guess you might have these wings or something and the the they say they're not breaded, they come they're breaded and you know, three bites in, ah crap, these are breaded, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't have control. So um, the other cool thing is I'm looking forward to cooking for my daughter, mm. Emmy, who's coming to stay with me this week to get herself back on the keto horse. Nice. Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good when the kids come home. Oh, it's so cool. So the only comment that I have to make about uh, your quote unquote vacation is if you think of yourself as being on a diet, then maybe you might think, well, I'm on vacation. I can go off and vacate from my diet as well. Right. But keto really isn't a diet. Keto is a way of eating. It's how you feel, choose to fuel your body. It's how you fuel your body in a way that doesn't further derange it. And so the problem is if you're thinking about, oh, I'm going to go on vacation, therefore I'm going to take a break from that. No, no. I, I totally agree. And and the thing is, I didn't go on the vacation with the intent to go off the diet. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it just happens. sort of happens. And yeah. rather, in my responsibility to, to get back on the horse, I did not fulfill. So it got worse over three days until I finally had to, you know, to to do it. And I, and I could only do it when I came home yeah. know, at that point. Yeah. It becomes harder and harder. So yeah. I'll have a report for you next week, and we'll, <laughs> I'll tell you all about how the week of, of cooking for somebody else, keto, which is great. And and Kelly's also doing it with me this week. So the whole sure. house pretty much is going to be uh, keto-fied. Nice. Well, that was a long, how was our week, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> let's give away some swag. Yeah, let's give away some swag. So today we're going to give away, as we did last week and the week before, and a couple weeks before that, mm-hmm. a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Ken Berry, by Dr. Ken Berry. Nice. And we give these away every week to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. Yeah. And you can become a member of the fan club just by going to fanclub.2keto.com and answer a few questions, and mm-hmm. then you're in. Yeah. And then we pick your name at random, mm-hmm. and you might win some stuff. So who do we pick from random this week? So this week's winner is Harold Guerin. Congratulations, Harold. Yeah. So congratulations, Harold. Dr. Barry will be sending you a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me very, very soon. Nice. And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can always buy all sorts of it online at gear.2keto.com. Although I don't think we have the uh, uh, the audiobook yet of uh, Lies My Doctor Told Me, but I have heard from a reliable source that there's a very famous person who uh, who voices that audiobook. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. That would be me. Um, all the... All the files are finished and we're just in the review process and that should be in your Audible store soon and I'll let you know on this show when it's ready. Nice. And that brings us to... What do you got, Carl? Okay, well, as you know, we have this great big thread on the ketogenic forums and it's a public thread. You don't have to be a member of the forum to read it. Mm-hmm. And the thread itself is at success.2keto.com. And we ask people to post their before and after pictures and tell their stories. And oh my, did they ever. Mm. And this is just one of the latest. And you got to see the picture of this woman, Diane, to believe it. It's unbelievable. Mm. Her before and after pictures are great. So she says, hello, I'm Diane, a 56-year-old keto lady who has been so since August of 2016. So that's not even two years. My journey began when I realized the time was now. 
fat, diabetic, high blood pressure, and knowing full well if I didn't do something, I would be approaching my golden years, one of those miserable old folks, unable to enjoy life. Mm. I got things to do, and I refuse to be old. So I, that's in quotes. So I <laughs> found keto, figured it out, met some awesome keto people willing to put up with my questions, and bada boom, bada bing. <laughs> Two years later, 100 plus pounds gone, nice. off all three blood pressure meds, and no longer insulin resistant. My hair may be graying, my skin may have surrendered to gravity, but I'm more youthful now than ever. <laughs> and like I say, we'll add a link to the show notes to her thread. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo now, and, and you know what I find interesting about the ketogenic diet is that a lot of us start out, you know, we're a, we're, we, we start out with uh, a generic fat person face. Yeah. And then somewhere in the process, we develop, in the process of losing our weight, we develop our unique, beautiful face that is ours and ours alone. And yeah, we get uh, it back. Yeah, we do. And Diane's a perfect example of that. I mean, she started out; she has a generic fat person face, and you know, right. we all did. I certainly did when you know when I oh, yeah, was at too. my apex. And and uh, and you look at her now, and she looks like a unique. She looks like Diane. She's a unique she does. person with her in her own right. And uh, that's yeah. I think that's remarkable. It is remarkable. So what do you got for mail, Richard? So uh, I've got a great story. You remember Tim Noakes, Professor Tim Noakes, who was on our show uh, several months ago. We, uh, we interviewed him while I was in America. Right. And uh, he has been plagued by the uh, Dietitians Association of uh, South Africa, uh, who basically set him up. Uh, they um, they arranged to get rid of the Tim Noakes problem. Now, Tim Noakes has, has, has written this book on banting, which is a way of eating. It's very similar to a ketogenic diet. Pretty much is, isn't it? Pretty much. It was named after one of the early low-carb dieters in the 1800s, uh, a gentleman by the name of Banting. And so yeah. uh, this diet uh, that Tim Noakes has developed uh, is it's one of the most um, well-read books uh, in South Africa. It's 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 like a number one bestseller and has been ever since it was it was printed. And right. uh, but it's all about this banting diet, and it's a low carb, real food um, diet. It, uh, they they um, they take this diet to the townships where uh, they show people how to eat with cheap food and uh, and and uh, eat a low carb. Uh, healthy, real food lifestyle, and so so he's been doing this for for four or five years. And the Dietitians Association of South Africa, the ADSA, have had this problem because him doing this is calling them into disrepute in their minds. He mm. is uh, mm. he is basically holding them up to mockery because uh, because his advice is totally different from theirs. And so they basically set him up. They had this woman who was talking about breastfeeding. Uh, uh, about a, uh, a colic, she was worried that uh, that if she went on a low carb diet, that the baby would get cauliflower through her breast milk. And he was just trying to to to, to calm her down and said, you know, totally okay. Breast milk is perfectly good yep. for, for babies. Um, and uh, the important thing is when you do wean the baby, then uh, that you want to um, make sure that you go to a low carb diet and not this um, starchy stuff that right. you know is in baby food these days. The baby shouldn't be eating sugar and starch. Exactly. Now, of course, they they set him up for this and they they hauled him over the coals and they basically put him through a a, a process that's uh, taken several years and 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 then 
uh, earlier this year um, came the news that he he was acquitted. And it wasn't a unanimous verdict. There was one dissenting verdict, but all the other judges said that that, uh, he had no case to answer for and that the Dietitians Association has basically spent several million uh, million rand, South African rand, on this uh, on this witch hunt, and and came to naught. Well, right. of course, they've they've basically took it to appeal, and so he's had to uh, um, he's had to uh, go through this entire appeals process. Well, we found out today uh, that the appeals process has unanimously declared that he has no case to answer for. And that there, so that's the end of yeah. it. Yeah, congratulations, Professor Noakes. That's it. Uh, congratulations, you so, did it. So that's the good news, uh, and I, I've got a link from uh, an article uh, in the Sunday Times uh, uh, f- from South Africa uh, on the on the subject, and uh, we'll uh, put that in the show notes. Absolutely, congrats! That's so awesome. Yeah, we were waiting for that one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, the, the interesting thing now is that um, his uh, his entire legal team have spent uh, millions of uh, rand on his. On his defence, um, mm. they haven't charged him, but it's co- still cost them a lot of money. Uh, well, now we're going to talk about uh, about costs, and uh, it's up to the Dietitians Association now um, to have a good think about uh, what they did and what they put him through, and the costs yep. that it's taken for him to defend himself uh, against what are essentially vexatious complaints um, and baseless charges. Yeah, and so you know it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because uh, well, it's a real precedent for people being sued for um, giving doctors being sued in particular for giving right. low carb advice mm. absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. So more, more, more power to Tim Noakes and, and uh, all the people that supported him absolutely so let's get to the content today now this is uh, an interview that you did while in Perth with Dr. Troy Stapleton on uh, type 1 diabetes which he had an experience with right that's right, and I did this recording in a uh, in a lobby of a hotel, and I do apologise because halfway th- this this was actually on St Patrick's Day this year, and <laughs> yeah. I didn't realise that uh, that that a lobby of any hotel in in any town in the world is going to get louder and noisier on St Patrick's right. Day, and so basically what <laughs> happened is a uh, a, um, a a cocktail party. Dropped in our laps halfway through this interview, <laughs> so we had, we had to relocate to a quiet room. So my apologies for the oh, noise. It's still a great interview, and let's mm-hmm. roll it now. Uh, I'm here in the lobby of the Height Regency in Perth with uh, Dr. Troy Stapleman, uh, who's a radiologist from uh, Noosa. Noosa? Sunshine Coast. Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia. And we're at a conference. We're at the Low Carb Perth Conference, and everything's just wrapped up, and we're going to talk about his presentation uh, and about his experience going keto as a type 1 diabetic. So how did you first uh, know that you were diabetic? So that was interesting. I was actually, um, every year I get together with a few friends of mine and, mm-hmm. and as a team, in fact, we do the Noosa Triathlon. And so I'd been um, doing my normal sort of preparation for that. I did the cycling leg um, and I started losing weight. Oh. Uh, and... Uh, I had been watching what I ate, so I thought, oh, this is, this is good. Um, but the weight loss became quite dramatic. I was losing about a kilogram a week. Wow. And, uh, and then I started to wake up at night to have to pass yeah. urine. Right, yeah. And was getting really thirsty, a little bit grumpy. Mm. And, you know, maybe just, yeah, they were the main symptoms, I guess. And I, 
I woke up one morning and, and um, I, I just remember looking at myself in the mirror and uh, I could see that my, my eyes had almost become shrunken in. My orb- I was right. actually losing orbit. orbital yeah. fat. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of one of the last fats that you'll start to lose. Sure. Uh, and so, it was really just a thought. You know, obviously, I'm a medical specialist, so I guess you go back to your background medical training and I thought, you know, losing weight rapidly, having to wee a lot. Mm. You know, could this be diabetes? Sure. Not really believing it. There's been no type 1 diabetes in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some type 2 diabetes, but certainly no type 1 diabetes. And anyway, I had some dipsticks in the cupboard. And yeah. I'd actually bought those because one of my boys, I've got three young boys, and one of them had, you know, I was worried about at one stage and I dipped their urine and fortunately they were fine. Sure. So anyway, I weed on the dipstick thinking this would be a two-minute test. It's going to be all good. Yeah get on with my life and um the dipstick came up four plus positive for glucose wow. and four yeah. plus positive for ketones yeah. so i was well on the way to diabetic ketoacidosis which mm. is a potentially fatal condition for sure. patients with type 1 diabetes and in fact um some people um if they don't get diagnosed soon enough um have those symptoms but it's they're not recognized and um, a, a, a quite a significant percentage of patients uh, or people with type 1 diabetes end up getting admitted to ICU and, in, in fact, can die from right. that initial presentation. So, yeah. very fortunate um, that, I, that I was diagnosed prior to getting yeah. that sick. But anyway, at that time, I went to work. Um, and you were an adult at this point. So I was 41 years of age. Yeah. Not as unusual as I would have thought oh, or, okay. and you would have thought. Yeah. So, apparently, 50% of people get type 1 diabetes actually after the age of 30 but it certainly is has been thought of as a as a juvenile condition but in fact um, there's a significant percentage of people that are, are diagnosed as in adulthood right and um so i went to work and i i thought well that's a urine test you know mm-hmm. maybe that's wrong maybe yeah. the, maybe yeah. the strips are old yeah um but then i tested my blood and and the reading came back high which meant that I was over 25 millimoles right, on my yeah. blood glucose. Yeah. And then I went to the diabetes clinic. I work at a public hospital. I went to the public diabetes clinic and I was able to get in um, straight away because they recognized it was urgent and um, they measured my HbA1c, and that, which is a measure of your average blood glucose over the preceding three months. And that was 11.9, which was right. confirmed a diagnosis of, of diabetes. Yeah. I then had antibodies tested so type 1 diabetes is a condition where it's an autoimmune condition where the body creates antibodies and attacks the beta cells within the pancreas and um, my antibody levels were sky high and and so that confirmed a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes not type 2 diabetes sure so you weren't making you weren't making nearly enough insulin and eventually your that that process that autoimmune process would probably take out all of your insulin production yeah, so at, at diagnosis, um, typically you've lost 80 to 90% of your beta wow. cells by yeah. the time you get diagnosed. Yeah. Um, some patients can have what is called a honeymoon period. So mm-hmm. once insulin therapy is commenced, sometimes they'll have this period and that can last from a short period to a long period where um, it's, it's relatively easy to maintain in uh, your blood glucose levels because you still have some... Uh, uh, endogenous in, uh, pancreatic function or beta right. cell function left. Yeah. Um, but over time, the autoimmune attack on the pancreas is ongoing and therefore that beta cell function is lost. Yeah. And eventually um, you come out of the honeymoon phase and require more 
um, insulin and typically at that time your blood glucose levels become more difficult to manage right so uh, so with type 1 uh, there's, there's there's no way even if you could like um, get a, a, a stem cell transplant of beta cells your immune autoimmune system would still be still your it would still be attacking those wouldn't it yeah so that's that's correct so um, there's no cure for type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. The, there have been transplants. Um, so some patients can get a kidney pancreas transplant. So right. sometimes they wait till a patient's actually had a, a um, renal failure, yeah. a kidney failure. Sure. And then if they're going to transplant a kidney, they'll transplant a pancreas at the same time. Right. Um, there have been some islet cell transplants where they inject islet cells into the portal vein. From a donor to the recipient. Yeah. That's, that's right. But again, those treatments require immunosuppression right. to try to stop the body attacking those new islet cells. Yeah. Um, and, and that carries with it a lot of other... And that carries with it risks. So the, the, um, you know, the standard of therapy for patients with type 1 diabetes is that they um, go on lifelong insulin injections, which um, helps them to manage the condition, but... Um, they're still exposed to the risks of long-term complications right. related to the uh, loss of normal glucose, blood glucose control. Right. So, so uh, now to to move the story forward, you 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 uh, within a month, I think you you had come upon a low-carb diet as a possible option. It was a fairly short period of time, wasn't it? Or yeah, that's correct. Well, what what happened? I guess it was it was quite a devastating diagnosis for oh, me. Yeah, I, yeah. I had thought I was, you know, quite fit and healthy, and yeah, you're, um, you're running a triathlon, or a triathlon, yeah, yeah, and nothing in my family. In fact, my family was quite long lived. My mm. grandmother lived to 102, and my grandfather lived well into his 90s, and I had thought that that was my lot in life. Yeah, um, so it was quite devastating for me, and and that manifested essentially as sort of depression and anxiety in the early post-diagnosis period and I saw I had trouble sleeping and I started reading the medical literature um, to to look for the best way of managing the condition and low carb as a theme kept coming up right and so within a week of diagnosis I actually returned to the clinic where I'd been diagnosed and I asked them about, you know, was low-carb an option? It seemed to make sense to me. Yeah. Um, but was advised that it, it would really wouldn't make much difference and, mm. and, and they didn't recommend it. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to take their advice. I'm a medical specialist but in a different field and these people are specialists in their field. So I'll take their advice and I'll just try and do the best that I can. Right. And so I went back and and... For the next about seven or eight weeks, I guess I, I, I tried to manage using the, the traditional or the stand or the currently recommended approach, which is sixty grams of carbohydrates per meal. Per meal, yeah, fifteen to thirty gram, yeah, of carbohydrates as a snack uh, intervening, and, and that adds up to about two hundred and forty grams of carbohydrates per day. And and to try to balance that with um, with insulin, and I just found that it was very difficult to manage like that you'd go high every day sometimes you'd go low sometimes you'd plummet low quite quickly and that was symptomatic um and and quite scary and 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 so during this time i kept reading and kept reading and was looking for um you know other approaches i guess and and kept coming upon low carb and came upon um the work done by dr richard bernstein and his book diabetes solution yeah and um, 
I just decided that this made sense to me and that I was going to to change my lifestyle sure. and to um, adopt a low-carbohydrate approach focusing on whole real foods. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting actually that the, the, the recommended diet for a type 2 diabetic, because I went through that process, is 300 grams of carbs a day. It's a lot. And this is for, this is for somebody for whom the only diagno- differential diagnosis that they have is that I was unable to process carbohydrates. Yeah, the same incredible. for you. It's just, yeah, it's just it, it, it is incredible. belief. It, it is. It is. So, 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 um, so, you, so you went low carb. Now, now does, a, does a low carb diet, um, does that help with the honeymoon, extending the honeymoon period? Is there any evidence to show that? I can point to anecdotal evidence, but mm. I can't point you to any research evidence. Right. But, but, but what happened with me when I adopted this approach was that firstly, I had been on 24 to 30 units of insulin a day and I had to rapidly scale that back. Um, and typically, um, at least in the published research, you see people have to reduce their dose by 30 to 50%. Yeah. But I, I actually reduced... Um, right down to six units per day right. from from 30 units. Yeah. And then in the intervening five years, that slowly crept back up again. And now it's it's sort of between 14 and 18 units per day. Right. But it's still around about 50% now, five years later, what it was when I was on using a high-carb approach initially right. post-diagnosis. Yeah. So that so the potentially that potentially that extended your the honeymoon period while you, when you were down at six uh, six units, then your pancreas may have still been supplementing that to get up to the yeah. fourteen that you require. So yeah. from some some of the studies I've read, it seems that when the beta cells release the insulin from the vesicles, yeah. that 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 release is what exposes them to the autoimmune attack. Ah. That's what that's what sort of identifies that that cell as a beta cell yeah. and that stimulates the autoimmune attack. Right. And so if you can have a dietary approach which reduces those beta cells need to secrete those remaining beta cells need to secrete insulin. Yeah. Essentially you can help them fly below yeah, your the immune radar. system's radar. Yeah. Oh wow. So that's fascinating. Um, so 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 you joined a, a group on on Facebook, Type One Grit. Did you did you start that group? Or? No, I didn't start that group. And I I had um, uh, I've been you know doing the the low carb thing I guess for about one or two years, and then um, uh, uh, someone uh, had contacted me from the UK, and 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 you know we'd sort of um, liaised a bit on email and then she had recommended that I join the group yeah um, and so I joined the group probably maybe six or 12 months after it was started I guess right. okay and at that stage there was about maybe 200 members it was mm. like a yeah sort of a very small family and and then over the intervening period, it's now grown up to thousands of people, right. and, and in fact, tens of thousands of people on the yeah. public page. Oh, we've sent we've sent hundreds of people to to both that and to Richard Bernstein's book. Yes, yeah, I think we're, I'm pretty sure we've sent about a hundred people at least to type, who present to the ketogenic forums or to to our podcast uh, as as audience listeners as type one diabetics, and and we send them to Richard Bernstein's book and to the type one Greek group because that. It's not something that we have any expertise in, in, in dealing with. Our thing for Carl and I is we tried to share what we did that worked for us and then tell people what 
science is there is behind it and maybe have a, an expert on to talk about their, their particular expertise and um, so we, we don't try to, to, to be experts in any of these things but, but that has been a great resource for these people because uh, just about every single one of them has come, come out of that experience with stable glucose and that's just so important yeah yeah absolutely and that peer that peer-to-peer support Mm. i think is is really critical because you know when i started this i didn't know anyone else doing it um but that you're seeing other people doing it and being able to troubleshoot and ask for advice yeah and 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 also um people are able to ask for you know are there health professionals who will support this approach in their local area and often people in that worldwide community can then point them in the direction of some health professionals who can support them in that journey. Right. No, that's outstanding. Okay, well, I'm here again with uh, Dr. Troy Stapleton and this time we've relocated to a quiet place because it turned out that we had a cocktail party turn up in our laps. So apologies for the noise in the background. So, Troy, we were talking about your your, uh, type 1 grit. The we're talking about type one grit, and, it, and and when I joined type one grit, that's right, and, yeah, and 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 that community, and it's a community of um, um, very committed people following Dr. Bernstein's approach with type one diabetes, mm-hmm. and it's grown into quite a large group now, um, about two thousand eight hundred or two thousand nine hundred members yeah. in the closed group, and then there's also the public mm-hmm. site, which I think has over twenty thousand followers now, yeah. Um, and, and essentially, it's it's a group of people with type 1 diabetes who are uh, uh, following Dr. Bernstein's approach, but also troubleshooting and how do I manage this and sharing recipes and, mm. and, and sharing uh, healthcare professionals who can, who can also help this group of people who know how to um, help people with type 1 diabetes who are using a lower carbohydrate approach to help manage their condition. Yeah, it's a real patient-led response, isn't it? Very much. Which is wonderful. You Very know, that's, much. Uh, we're uh, we're actually at the Perth uh, conference. We've been hearing actually about um, this inversion of uh, a patient-centric N equals one based, you know, digitally disrupted um, uh, healthcare practice. And this is this looks like part of it, you know, because this I've, the type one grit community probably have have all of the uh, the the keto and uh, and low carb communities is really focused on the, the health, and maybe maybe that's because of the severity of the of the of the problem of type one diabetes, it's a lot easier to deal with type two diabetes because you've got some you've got so much more leeway. Which um, so in, in the case of type one diabetes, you you know you're forced really to, to to focus on things like you know can I exercise? How, how do you do? How would you do that? I mean, well, I, I, in fact, I think that's been one of the really interesting things and one of the one of the huge advantages uh, to me for using a low-carb approach. So um, everyone acknowledges that exercise is, is a healthy thing to do, and yeah. particularly in people with type 1 diabetes. Um, and yet approximately 50%, or at least the studies I've seen quoted, of type 1 or people with type 1 diabetes are, are too frightened to exercise because of the fear of becoming hypoglycemic with exercise. Right. One of the interesting things that happens when you uh, go on to a low-carbohydrate approach is that the body becomes uh, more efficient at burning fat for a fuel. Mm-hmm. And what then happens is that at sort of low and moderate levels of exercise activity, because the body is so well adapted to burning fat, 
it doesn't burn much glucose during those activities. Right. And it becomes a lot easier to maintain steady, normal blood glucose levels, even sure. at moderate levels of exercise. So, yeah. you know, I, I cycle, I surf, I sail, I do lots of different sporting activities. But just to give you a, a cycling example, you know, I can cycle for one to two hours mm-hmm. at sort of moderate levels of yeah. You know, 25 kilometers an hour, 25, 30 kilometers an hour, cycling along with my friends, Mm -hmm. and I can maintain steady blood glucose even whilst fasting. Nice. Um, And you have uh, a CGM, a a continuous glucose monitor, so you can actually see that. That's right. So I I obviously keep a very close eye on on my blood glucose levels, and I always uh, exercise with glucose available to me and, and even and when i surf i have glucose gels in my you know my board shorts mm-hmm. etc um, and so i do monitor it but i can maintain stable steady blood glucose levels because i'm burning fat for those exercise nice. uh, activities so when you're surfing do you actually take your your glucometer in a, in a waterproof package or something or? so i have yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. but i've also um, I've also had my waterproof pouch leak and then, right. yeah. uh, lose, you know, $100 worth of monitor. And sure. uh, so uh, <laughs> I, 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 I now know that I'm actually stable during those levels of activity. Right. So I tend to go out with, um, I always have glucose gel yeah. available to me. Um, but I know that if I'm out for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour at sort of low to moderate levels of activity, then I'm, I'm, I'm safe. Yeah. Uh, and that's through trial and error. Mm. So, so do, Generally, do do people who go on a low carb diet with type one diabetes worry about hyperglycemia? And it's one of the common questions that I get asked. People mm. think that if they're not eating carbohydrates all the time, that they'll have hypoglycemia. And yet, it's actually the reverse because what tends to happen is that people who use a low carbohydrate approach they actually reduce their insulin by you know somewhere between 30 and 50 percent and 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 that the majority of the reduction in insulin is actually their bolus insulin yeah um and so if you're having less insulin it's actually the insulin that that produces the hypoglycemic episodes so if you're having less insulin you actually have less hypoglycemic episodes and and that's been shown uh, there was a study by nielsen Mm -hmm. uh, looking at a four-year study and they reduced hypoglycemic episodes by 82 percent so you know that's that's been shown in in the medical literature. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, um, what does a diet what does a diet look like for a type one diabetic? Is it the same as for a type two? You know, somebody else on a ketogenic diet, or is there anything unusual about it? No, I don't. I don't think it's anything unusual. I, I focus on whole real foods. So, um, typically, um, so breakfast for me typically might be some uh, scrambled eggs, maybe with a side salad. Nice. Um, uh, lunch for me would typically be cold meat in a salad, mm-hmm. and and dinner would typically be you know a serve of protein, so meat or fish or eggs, those sorts of things with green vegetables, right? Um, with you know some butter or olive oil or those sorts of thing, and yeah. maybe you know some cheese after dinner if if, if you're still hungry. So mm. that that's all it is. It's pretty simple. It's actually not dissimilar from what I eat. Yeah. I saw your bent, in your presentation you had bento boxes, which was awesome. Yeah, and uh, you had the metal ones. I've never seen metal ones. but yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're 
made by a company called Planet Box. They're, okay. They're expensive, but I absolutely love mine. Worth it, yeah. And uh, I figure that they'll last for life, so it's worth the, worth the price. Oh, they're, uh, let's hope they enjoy the plug. Because <laughs> I, I, I think I want to get some of those because Jules, Jules loves bento boxes, so we'll, we'll yeah. do that. But the, yeah, And the meals that you had in these, were, were they look delicious. I mean, oh, they are. Really. I, I look forward to my lunch every day, <laughs> and a lot of the time, you know, it's very simple for me to prepare them. Typically, the protein portion of that meal will be from dinner the night before. So, right. if we've had fish, I'll, I'll, you know, my wife will cook some extra and that goes in with a salad for lunch. That's a good idea. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, or sometimes I just uh, have cold meat. So, you know, corned beef or ham, uh, hard boiled eggs, those sorts of things. I find it really simple and mm. I change it up every day. Um, try to include some uh, wild-caught salmon in uh, you know, a, yeah. a couple of few times a week. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it really simple. Uh, I've adapted to it. I don't find it a challenging diet. To yeah, eat. no, it's, it's, it's remarkable how, how, how nice a ketogenic diet is. People, uh, when I first went ketogenic, a, a friend of mine who's a dietitian said, uh, yeah, even if, even if this diet chose proves to be healthy and which i don't believe uh, but even if it proves to be healthy there's no way anyone would stick to it it's too boring and so i started this hashtag boring keto and i would hashtag i would like put posts in facebook of these meals because I, I don't mind cooking and so i put these uh, these posts with these fancy meals and hashtag boring keto eventually she unfriended me <laughs> so, but anyway it's uh, i mean the, the food is delicious and and Absolutely. i find it was interesting when we were at low carb breckenridge because we were cooking we had a big house and uh and Everybody was complaining about the fact that there was so much interesting food at this whole event, not just our house, but also Rod did the speaker's dinner and there was also meals all, all, all over the place. People were complaining that the diet is so satiating that they couldn't eat, taste all of the foods that they wanted to taste. Yeah, look, I absolutely you know, love it. Mm. And, and um, you know, my wife and I both, both eat this way now and we absolutely love it. And, you know... You know, I love, you know, Brussels sprouts yes. cooked with bacon. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. beautiful. You know, there's yeah. such, uh, yeah, it is, it's it's absolutely satisfying food and it feels rich and, uh, yeah, luxuriant. Yes. Sarah Halberg says uh, if you're going to eat vegetables, uh, and you don't have to eat vegetables, she says, uh, but if you're going to eat vegetables, eat them with butter or eat them, eat them with fat, eat them with a fatty sauce, you know. Um, there's nothing worse than sort of steamed Steamed vegetables have had the life steamed out of them. I mean, you know that's 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 a that's the low fat <laughs> way of doing things. Yeah, no, I agree. I love vegetables, mm. and um, but but yeah, I love them with butter or or cooked in butter. Yeah, absolutely. So I eat vegetables because I don't like to eat offal. So because you know there <laughs> you know, there there are nutrients in offal that they're also in vegetables, and they're um, you know if you if you don't eat one of those, then you're likely to, you know there's a good chance you become deficient in essential nutrients. So anyway, uh, that's that's why I eat vegetables. Um, tell me, Tway, is there any emerging research that you'd like to talk about? Look, there's, I'm I'm actually really excited that that um, I'm aware of a number of studies which are actually looking at low carb for type 1 diabetes because there's actually there's only a very small amount of studies currently published you know, in the medical literature mm -hmm. um, but I'm aware of at least three uh, studies which will be published this year wow um, looking specifically at the question of, of a low carbohydrate approach to manage type 1 diabetes and I know of now three PhD students which mm -hmm. are um, who are looking at this exact yeah. topic. So that's, that's incredibly exciting for me. Um, 
you know, I've now been following this approach uh, for five years. Mm. And, and really what I would like to see in the future for people with type 1 diabetes is that um, their treating health team develop a patient-centered approach and that one of the options that they're offered is a low-carbohydrate approach. Yeah. And if the patient chooses to follow a low-carbohydrate approach, then they're supported in that choice and uh, the, the medical team uh, looking after them develop some expertise and experience in, in using this approach. Yeah. Um, and that includes not just the low-carbohydrate diet, but also some of the insulin dosing techniques as described by Richard Bernstein. Mm. I would, I, with the exception of the insulin dosing te- techniques, I would actually echo the exact same thing for type 2 diabetics. Yes. That Diabetes Australia um, takes on a, a, or diabetes peak bodies worldwide take on a patient-centric approach, that a low-carb diet is an option, that it's not... I mean, the current state of things is that if you're a type 2 diabetic, and I suspect also if you're a type 1 diabetic, and you tell your, certif- your, your diabetes educator that you want to attempt a low-carb diet, they will stage an intervention. <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, it, I think we need to get that out of the, uh, out of the standard of care. So that's, that's, that's outstanding. So um, uh, thank you very much for, for spending time with us. Um, uh, it was very enjoyable. I enjoyed your presentation today, and I look forward to the next time we meet. Thank you, Richard. Thank I really you. enjoyed it. Thank you. Could you save your due for a little? You know, it, it, it's just a, another great story about how people are controlling their blood glucose by not eating it. Yeah. It, it seems right. like such a simple thing. Yeah. And you it's know. not just type 2 diabetics. It's uh, people who are not diabetic, but it's also type 1 diabetics. You know, it's, mm. it's it, for, for all of us. I mean, there's, there's very few people for whom uh, a low-carb diet isn't going to uh, make their health better. What was particularly interesting to me is some research that he cited that said that every time your pancreas secretes insulin, those beta cells become susceptible to the autoimmune attack that happens to type 1 diabetics. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're going to squirt out insulin that you're going to become type 1 diabetic. Mm. All it means is that your chances of an autoimmune disorder, which you already have to have, making you type 1 diabetic uh, go up every time that you expose those beta cells to secreting insulin that was really right. interesting yeah well that also means that if you are type 1 diabetic if and you catch it early enough and you go on a low-carb diet that means your pancreas has to make less insulin that mm. your honeymoon period where you can still make insulin could potentially be a lot longer um, and, yeah. and you know that the longer you don't have to inject uh, large amounts of insulin um, the um, the more likely that uh, uh, that you can you stop some of the uh, the complications that happen when you have uh, large amounts of insulin. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's also some research that we'll cite in this show that you, I think you mentioned in a in a show or two before, but we haven't really cited the research since I can't remember when. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was the two keto dudes fix diabetes. Yeah, it was San Antonio. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, in San Antonio, that. Um, uh, when your sh- when your A1C is at a certain level, there's a threshold at which your beta cells stop dying off, or at on the low end, stop mm. dying off uh, from sugar toxicity, and start multiplying or, or dividing to make more beta cells. And after that point of A1C, 
that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's not so much the HbA1c as the fasting glucose, but I've used HbA1c as a proxy for fasting glucose. I so see. What, it, what it means is if your fasting glucose is over 110, then you're killing off beta cells faster than you can make new ones. If it's under mm. 110, then you're making new ones faster than you're killing them off. And so it's simply a matter of getting below the knee of that curve, um, yeah. and uh, that's really the, the the critical thing. And this is based on some science that you discovered, and we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. We have done it in previous shows, but, but uh, we'd like to do that again. Yeah, this came from the Mayo Clinic, and basically they had uh, recent – um, autopsies of people for whom they knew their past six months uh, glucostasis, and so um, these the, the, these were patients of theirs who died from from uh, from a variety of causes where they actually got to autopsy them very soon after death, and so they were able to do a, yeah. a, 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 a biopsy of the pancreas and 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 count how many beta cells were there, and then they look back at their their glucose. Uh, statistics over the past six months, and they're able to, to 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 make inferences. Interesting thing about this is that my brother, who passed away two weeks ago, donated his pancreas to science, and he, his pancreas is actually being used in a similar experiment. Uh, so wow. this is actually personal to me. So yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> sorry, uh, a bit of a downer. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I brought I, the conversation to yeah. screeching halt. <laughs> After that, I think I, I, I think I feel like some uh, some food. So uh, how about yeah. we have some recipes? recipes! <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll go first. Mm, sure. So I've recently come to this conclusion that I've updated several of the recipes that I originally have shared on this show, mm-hmm. and Oopsie Bread is one of them. Mm. So today you get an updated version of Oopsie Bread, plus you get uh, some garlic butter to spread over it. <laughs> okay. All right, so here's here's what we're going to do for Oopsie Bread. Now, Oopsie Bread is sometimes called cloud bread. Originally, we talked about this, I think it was in the very first show, Yeah. as an alternative to bread, and it has a very eggy bread-like texture, but there's, you know, practically no carbs in it. Mm. So for this, you're going to get six eggs. You're going to use half a teaspoon of cream of tartar, mm-hmm. and those are going to be turned into a meringue. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of it, you have a half a brick or four ounces of cream cheese. Now, here's what I did. I added three tablespoons of butter because mm. butter makes bread delicious. <laughs> it does. Also a tablespoon of olive oil because it's going to be a little thick. Mm-hmm. The reason why it's thick is you add a tablespoon of psyllium husks. Right. Now, psyllium husk came on the market as the brand Metamucil in America. as a sort of a laxative, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that you stir up in your orange juice, irony, and, <laughs> uh, and drink to keep yourself regular. Right. Um, well, it turns out that this is just fiber, and mm-hmm. it, it does a good job of binding um, uh, Oopsie Bread. Mm. So a tablespoon of that, you can find it in your grocery store in the, or your uh, drugstore in the laxative section. Just make sure that it's not flavored. Yeah, you right? don't want that flavored sweetened stuff. Yeah, yeah, psyllium husk powder. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get a teaspoon of baking powder, half a teaspoon of salt, 
And optionally, if you like your bread to be a little sweet, mm-hmm. you can use a teaspoon of Sirkin Gold, which is a brown sugar alternative, mm-hmm. or some other sweetener. Swerve is a popular one. Whatever. You know, we did a show on sweeteners. That yeah. Y- you have to figure out which sweetener is good for you. Right. Now, um, for flavor additions. Now, you can... This is just a basic bread. If you like garlic bread, you can put in a teaspoon of garlic powder. If you like rye bread, mm-hmm. you can put in a teaspoon of caraway seeds. Nice. Now I do I do this to make it to make a rye flavor. Mm. That's yeah, good. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I'm not a fan of garlic powder. I don't think it tastes like garlic uh, for me personally. Yeah. Um, so yep. I would suggest uh, to grate raw garlic in. Yeah. Or, or one of the recipes I did a couple of uh, weeks ago was smoked garlic. So smoked yep. garlic in this would be delicious. I agree. Now, what I'm going to do is completely leave this out of my recipe because what I'm putting on top of it is a soft uh, butter with roasted garlic in oh, it. So nice. we'll, we'll get yeah. to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm. So here's the process. I've found that if you whip the egg whites first, if you beat them and then let them sit while you do the rest of it, mm-hmm. they have a chance to sort of deflate. Right. So what I do is I mix the other stuff first, mm. and then in a stand mixer, and then transfer that to a bowl, and then put the egg whites in and do the egg whites. So, but there's there's a couple of caveats. So let's go through it. You want to preheat the oven to 300 Fahrenheit, which is about 150 Celsius. Yeah. You want to bring your eggs up to room temperature. An easy way to do that is just to take them in the shell and put them in a bowl of just tepid water mm-hmm. and leave them there for an hour. Um, otherwise you, after you separate the eggs, what I've done is I've put them in a, put the bowl of egg whites in another bowl of warm water and that works really fast. So you separate the eggs, whites in a bowl, yolks in a stand mixer, cause that's what you're going to mix first. And you add all the other ingredients except the cream of tartar to the egg yolks, right? So that's the cream cheese, the butter, the olive oil, the psyllium husk, the baking powder, the salt, uh, optionally the sweetener and whatever flavors you want to put in there. And now you want to beat that on high for about eight minutes. And yes, eight minutes. You want to get as much air into that batter as possible. Now you beat it on high. So mm-hmm. now you're going to transfer the mixture into another bowl with a spatula because you're going to use your stand mixer to do the egg whites. But before you can do that, you have to thoroughly wash and dry the stand mixer bowl and the beater, the yeah. whisk, just to make sure that it's completely dry and there can't be any fat in that bowl or on that mixer when you right. whip the egg whites. Otherwise, they're not going to set. And, of course, it, when you do s- separate the egg whites, you really can't have any of the yolk in them. Absolutely not. You get yeah. any yolk whatsoever. You won't turn you know, up. If you can't get it out with a spoon, you're mm-hmm. done for. Yeah. Yeah. So now you want to beat the egg whites and the cream of tartar with a mixer for five or six minutes, maybe even seven minutes until mm-hmm. they're very stiff. And you immediately pour the batter over the egg whites with, and with a spatula, you gently fold it in. And folding means wrap around from the bottom, cover it over on the top. Yeah. And you can you stick your spatula vertically down through the middle, turn it to the left, or yeah, turn it counterclockwise. And then fold it over the top. Mm -hmm. And you just keep doing that until you you basically don't want to mix it. You don't want to deflate the egg whites. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. So now you put some parchment paper on a cookie sheet and make six large piles of the batter, being careful not to crush them. And cook that at 300 Fahrenheit, 150 Celsius for 15 to 20 minutes or until they're golden brown. 
and you just remove them and transfer to a cooling rack. So the adjacent recipe mm-hmm. is the soft roasted garlic butter. And I know this should be pretty obvious to everybody, but you may <laughs> not know exactly how to do this. Mm. So you want to get a pound of Kerrygold butter or some good butter, whatever you like to use. Let it come up to room temperature. It might take about three hours at room temperature for it to get soft. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to preheat your oven to 250 Fahrenheit because that's what you're going to roast the garlic in. So you remove the skins from the cloves of two bulbs of garlic. Mm -hmm. And the way I do it is I crush each clove with my palm, and uh, that sort of breaks the skin open. Yeah. And I take a paring knife and cut off the base, and then the rest just falls off. Mm -hmm. So you want to put those in a bowl and toss them with olive oil and a pinch of salt. And you place that on a cookie sheet and bake it at 250 Fahrenheit until they're golden brown. If they get too dark on the bottom, you want to take them out and flip them and put them back in for another five or 10 minutes. But you you really can't cook them too much, but they will burn at some point. So just remember, brown garlic is good, but blackened (laughs) garlic is bitter. Right. (laughs) Now in a bowl, you take those out while they're hot and you mash the garlic with a fork and it should just turn into a paste. Mm. Or you can alternatively chop it with a knife if you want some chunks. And you add the butter to it, which should be soft in room temperature, but the garlic's going to warm it up some more. Mm -hmm. Completely mix it together. Transfer that to a serving vessel. A nice looking bowl will do, but something that you can keep it in out on the counter. And you smooth it down with the back of a spoon so it's just flat. You know, you don't want to serve just like a pile of of craggy butter on the table. You want it nice and smooth. Maybe you put it in a ramekin, something like that. Something where it's nice and smooth. I tell you what I like to do is I like to put some parchment paper, a square of parchment paper down on the on the table and spoon the butter in into a, a, a ridge in the middle and then t- uh, roll the paper up so it's a, a long, tight roll and then grab the edges uh, of the of the roll and twist them in opposite directions. So what that does is it, it, it basically makes a sausage with the parchment paper on the outside and the butter nice. on the inside. And then I put it in the fridge yeah. and then you can take it out and just cut discs of it off. And so you can right. put a disc on the steak or, uh, or something like that, which is quite nice. Yep. And that's really good for a steak. But the whole point about this is you're going to serve it on um, some warm oopsie bread. So oh, you right. want it to be room temperature. You gotcha. want it to be soft and spreadable. Okay. So I basically put some plastic wrap on it and I leave it out on the counter. Mm. Just so, you know, plastic wrap to keep the dust and whatever out mm-hmm. of it and yeah. the flies. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready to serve it, just put it right from the counter, right onto the table and yum, yum, yum <laughs> on that awesome. oopsie bread. So I got a story for you. Yeah. At the last Keto Mini Fest we did, mm. we served fresh, hot, oopsie bread with this recipe and the and the garlic butter mm-hmm. and the and and by the way Liz Myers thank you very much she did all of the oopsie bread it was great she's her such a legend husband. yeah yeah so we served this in baskets and at the table and there was this one guy who was like you know bread is my downfall i i love bread <laughs> i i can't i can't avoid bread i you know i have to have bread so then the oopsie bread came out he's like yeah, mm, i'm going to have another piece of that <laughs> i think I think, does anybody else want that piece? Okay, I'll grab that piece. And then <laughs> from the other side of the table, they pass theirs down. And the guy was like three or four pieces in. I'm like, go for it, man. Yeah, you can yeah. just eat as much as you want. Yeah. And he actually ended up taking a few pieces home too. He was just in hog heaven. It was awesome. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> 
That's my recipe. What do you got, Richard? So I did a recipe a couple of uh, months ago for steaks, and that recipe is it's a fairly simple. You just uh, get a steak to room temperature, get a pan yeah. to hot, really hot. Get a nice. Yep. I mean, you want something like a like a cast iron pan. You want it on a really hot heat, and yeah. you don't have to worry about putting any oil or anything in the pan. The fat is going on the the steak is going to do that for you. And basically, what you do is you. Let's say you start with the New York strip. New York strip's got that sort of fat cap down one side of it. Most butchers are going to cut that off. That's what they see as their value add. Don't Mm. let them do that. You want the fat cap (laughs) because the fat is the fat is the best part of the (laughs) of the steak. So what you do is you 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 put that that uh, fat cap down uh, and you you start the rendering process of the fat. And I, mm-hmm. I normally put that down to, for, for uh, I, I basically put the steak on that fat cap on the hot pan for maybe two and a half, three minutes. And uh, I, I essentially the, 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 the fat there is going to start rendering out into the pan. And yeah. then and then I set a timer for for me for my steaks I like my steaks medium rare and so mm. uh, I used to like my steaks well done, um, mm-hmm. but I, I since I went keto I've started becoming my I've enjo- been enjoying my steaks more and more rare as I go now I like a medium me rare too. so what I do is um, two and a half minutes for a steak uh, on mm-hmm. one side two and a half minutes. Um, is probably dependent on how thick the steak is, though, right? How thick do you cook them? So this is for a New York strip that's uh, uh, about three quarters of an inch thick. So okay. if you have a thinner steak, uh, so we'll get to what you do with a thinner or a thicker steak later, but just okay. to sear the outside of the steak, um, you want it about two and a half minutes on one side. Okay. If you were to look at that, uh, turn that steak over and have a look at it, it would look like how the steak's going to appear on the plate. So you want right. basically you want that caramelized. Bre- you don't want to touch it for two and a half minutes. You just want to sit there, um, enjoying the heat that bath that it's in. And now, <laughs> now, um, Curtis Stone was on TV in Australia on Australian Master Chef the other day, and he said what he likes to do is he likes to rest it between cooking each side. So what he would do is he would mm. take it out of the pan with the uncooked side up, and he would put it on a board and let it sit there for another two and a half minutes. So it's been in the pan for wow. two and a half minutes, getting seared one side. He takes it out and lets it sit and rest for two and a half minutes before he puts it back in the pan to do the second side. Now, the reason you let it sit is so that the blood doesn't uh, drain out of the, uh, out of the steak, so it remains moist. Right. Um, so... Um, you ever had that problem when you when you uh, you get a steak at the table and you start to cut into it and all of this blood just it flows just runs out, out, runs yeah. out, and and so so what this what the process of resting does is it it allows that to reintegrate within the within the flesh of the of the animal, so you don't end up with yep. that sort of bloody mess. So anyway, um, so what Curtis would do is he would rest it between each side. I generally don't because I'm too hungry <laughs> so i'm gonna try it yeah. though yeah yeah it, it see if it makes a difference yeah i let my steak rest after i've completely cooked it usually yeah i'll i'll always do that after it's been in the oven so what you're going to be doing is you're going to be putting it each side uh each you're going to cook each side in the pan and then you're going to put the pan in the oven and the oven at the you probably should have put this the oven at 300 fahrenheit 150 celsius uh or even even mm-hmm. higher if you can and um get your oven up nice and hot uh 
before you start this entire process. So right. I now now I will generally use a pan where I can take the handle off the pan. So the pan is mm. designed to go in the oven. Uh, a good cast iron right. pan will generally be able to do that as well, but make sure you use an oven sure. when you take that out because otherwise you're going to be you're going to be branded. So so anyway, <laughs> so we've we've seared it on both sides, and what's happened is the fat has come out of the steak and is now moistening the pan, so to speak. Now, mm. what most people do is that they uh, they take the steak out at this point and put it on a board and let it sit there for two, three minutes, and I do the same. Mm -hmm. And most people would generally throw away the oil that's in the pan. Okay, yep. you've got maybe you know, two or three millimetres of oil in that pan that's rendered out from the fat. Most people would throw mm. that away or they might uh, they, they generally throw it away and then, and then maybe put a little bit of um, red wine in there to pull the fond mm -hmm. up off the top of the pan. That fond is right. the... The, the 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 tasty bits of the of the of oh, the yeah. steak that have uh, have caramelized onto the base of the pan <laughs> but i'm not going i'm not going to waste all that perfectly good fat oh no what i'm going to suggest is while your steak is resting for 3 minutes this is my actual recipe all of the rest okay. of what i've done, done so far <laughs> is a reprising a, a previously done recipe sure and now i'm about to start my actual recipe my actual recipe is what do you do with the fat that's in that pan so right. here's what I suggest doing. Get some mushrooms, chop up the mushrooms and put them in that fat and uh, maybe get maybe two or three clo uh, cloves of garlic and grate those into, into that fat and mm -hmm. let those cook down. What's going to happen is they're going to soak up a little bit of that fat, but they're also going to cook mm -hmm. in that fat. They're going to take on the flavor of that, yeah. uh, of that tallow um, yep. and, and they will be a perfect accompaniment to beef because they will be cooked in the beef fat. Now, sure. as far as herbs and spices, you want to add herbs that are, that accompany and uh, accentuate the flavour of steak. And uh, thyme is a particularly good thyme. accentuator mm. of steak flavours. And so I put a little bit of thyme in. And thyme goes really well with, uh, with mushrooms. Um, if there's not mm. enough fat in the pan, you can always add a bit of butter. But what we're trying to do here is we're trying to curry the fat with mm -hmm. vegetables, so now I've 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 had the mushrooms uh, cooking in that in that oil for for maybe thirty seconds or maybe a minute. The next thing mm -hmm. I do is I put in some liquid, some some water of some kind, just to lift the fond off the bottom of the pan. Now mm. my favourite liquid to add is red wine, <laughs> which works really well with steak. <laughs> so you don't need a lot. You need like two tablespoons of red wine. Yeah. And what it's going to be doing is it's, you're going to end up at the end of this with a clean pan, <laughs> but, yeah, that's uh, right. which is, uh, which is a, another benefit. But so what the red wine is going to do is it's also going to make a lot of steam. So when I throw that red mm. wine in and I stir the bottom of the pan, I also throw in about a cup of spinach leaves. And oh, what yeah, that's going sure. to do is it's going to wilt it's got that spinach is going to wilt in that steam and uh and uh and i just keep stirring now it only takes me about two or three minutes and then my steak is rested and now it's ready to be ready to be plated and i mm. now i now have a pan of spinach mushroom garlic steaky winey flavored sauce uh With that time. i just with time that I just pour over my steak, and so that's that's my recipe. It's what you do with the that the, sounds the fat amazing. left after making steak. So there you go. That's Whoa. my recipe. 
Awesome. I'm going to make that for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) What a great show. Yeah. Thanks. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, uh, some more research that you found to support or refute anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram at twoketodudes. Make sure to use the hashtag twoketodudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot of getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, including Two Keto Dudes, Keto Woman, Keto Families, Keto Kids, which is coming up, I mm-hmm. promise. Mm-hmm. Obesity Code Podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. Think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. And come to KetoFest 2018. We're going to have a party. Go to KetoFest.com. And you can also see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And check out my cooking videos at carlsketokitchen.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, Richard, keep calm, keto on, and fast when you can. Yeah, keep calm, keto on, Carl, and keto fest at least once a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.